Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Melvin, and I see an calculus. Welcome to Cinemac Doctrine, a spoiler-free Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. I'll admit that I'm largely reviewing this movie to take a break. For the last five episodes, I've been going gung-ho with study, scripting, patient rereading, and editing, and while it's all fun and dandy and doesn't actually take up that much time, mentally it's a headspace that I don't like to stay in very long. I love watching movies, and to treat it like work all the time can be taxing, and I think part of that was due to the movies I was covering. They demanded comprehensive discussions that were well worth 15 to 20 minute long episodes, but I don't want my entertainment to become work, even if I'd love to do this full time. And that's why we're doing The Happening. It's amidst one of Shyamalan's worst rated films, of which he now has several, but that doesn't mean it isn't fun. In fact, while it's terrible, there is a lot of fun stuff to talk about here. So alright. Open up in New York, Central Park. Two women are talking. One of them hears of Scream in the distance and turns to investigate, but can't see anything. A little shocked, she composes herself and keeps talking with her friend, who inexplicably stabs herself in the neck with a hair needle. Following suit are non-graphic yet atmospherically frightening en masse suicides, and our hero, Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch fame, and Zoe Deschanel must escape New York before this terrorist attack, or plague, or whatever it is, gets them, and forces them to take their own life. The happening is rated R for violent and disturbing images. The whole complicating incident is that people are killing themselves because of something. That's a bit twisted enough to lead to some grisly visuals, and that can include adults or children, but I'm going to make something clear if you haven't already seen The Happening. This is not a good movie. Or, well, it is, but not for the reasons it thinks it is. The violence is rarely graphic, and when it decides to show you anything, it's comically elementary. It's poorly animated for 2008 standards. I mean, this is the same year Iron Man released, and if you were to put that CGI and this CGI next to each other, you would be dumbfounded. Anything considered visceral is made comical, not only by poor quality, but also the surrounding events, dialogue, acting. I mean, it is really, really funny. It's just laugh out loud funny. The first time I watched The Happening was with my wife a few months ago, and it was just a trip. We had a blast, and I was expecting it to be less funny when I rewatched for this episode because I felt like, you know, some magic would have been lost. Or, you know, I was watching it alone. So many factors that would make something like this funnier were now stripped. But then I watched it again, and I was just in stitches by myself laughing like a lunatic. Just amazing. I mean, let's start with the performances. They are wooden. They have more personality than a broken twig, but only just reach the character qualities of Driftwood. Lines are muttered with little unction from Zoe Deschanel as she expresses disdain over people being so terrible, and Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch fame spends the entire performance shoving a little bit more air out of his mouth and talks like this the whole time. It's a little weird at first, and then it becomes incredibly funny as he emotes from shock and fear to more shock because he only has like three expressions the whole time. I mean, it is just wonderful. An absolute smorgasbord of inadvertent comedy that will leave you rolling on the floor. It is the perfect film to call up your friends, 
tell them to bring a couple six packs and just watch with wide eyes as some of the most baffling things ever put into a sequence pass before your eyes. Even structurally, the film doesn't seem to balance itself at all. Like, the characters talk about why this event is taking place. What is it in the air that makes people kill themselves? And as this is happening, Shyamalan is trying to make things vague by proposing in some sense about three to four different reasons as to why there are mass suicides happening. And, and from Shyamalan himself, he intended it to be vague, even editing the original script called The Green Effect that was far more on the nose about what was causing the event, as well as the metaphor. There's even an opening scene where Marky Mark, of the Funky Bunch fame, in the ever-so-tropey high school exposition scene, is talking to his students and trying to get them thinking about why there are large quantities of bees vanishing in sporadic locations. One student responds that, perhaps it's simply an act of nature and we'll never understand it. This reinforces the idea that we aren't really supposed to know what's going on, at least in some sense of the phrase. Yet Shyamalan literally says what is causing the whole event about 20 minutes into his 90-minute film, and he doesn't let up about it, despite trying so hard to leave things vague, even after he's just told us what's going on. Like, it's just so weird. Why would you do that? Aren't you just going against what you're trying to do? And the fact that he tries to convince us it may be something else... Or he's planting seeds of like, well, different people are thinking this. No, you just, he can't even help direct us exactly where he originally attended with the green effect, even though he said that that was more on the nose. I mean, is the happening really all that vague, Shyamalan? Is it really that vague? And other than being absurdly obtuse, there's also the audacity to the way Shyamalan commits to certain plot choices. There's a particular scene containing teenagers that... While Shyamalan is over there saying how he wants to get gritty and dark to emphasize the point he's getting at, which by all means, I am all for that. It demands a certain consistency with a project to make something like that work, though. But because of how inept the production is from strange dialogue about the Brad Rap that hot dogs get despite their cool shape and protein, or buying a completely superfluous bottle of cough syrup, to the poor visuals containing a lion attack in a zoo or slow-moving lawnmower, this scene comes across neither as grisly and effective nor offensive and repugnant. It comes off like the greatest punchline ever told, a true success in cinema, a tour de force of comedic proportions as a one-act stage play masterpiece. Bravo, and maybe it's just me, but alongside the wonderful accidental brilliance and hilarity of the happening, there's also a forgettable quality to the film as well. There were things that over and over I came to realize I had just completely forgotten that it was in the film, and you know what? That's kind of the coolest thing in the world. I got to rewatch scenes for the first time again, and while most would attribute forgettability as a negative quality, I think ultimately this film has benefited by its otherworldly ability to completely vacate the memory banks of my brain. Now, I'm not here to bash on the happening because for all this negative talk, I think I've made it clear that in the end, among its repeated failures, it's a very very entertaining movie. A lot of that also has to do with the premise conceptually, which, although fails in execution, can't help but bring other things to mind. First and foremost, at its core, The Happening attempts to join the congregation of cosmic-style narratives out there. From the early romantic writings of Edgar Allan Poe, archaic yet populated world of H.P. Lovecraft, the evolution into paranoia horror of John Carpenter, and eventual development into the very modern views of nihilism and existential fear that, ultimately, humanity is either incapable of responding or understanding the world, or in the cosmic sense, comprehending the purposes of higher beings. 
Now, it's no spoiler to mention that there isn't a cosmic higher being present in the happening. However, it's clear that Shyamalan is being influenced by this string of creativity, attempting to tell a story about some sort of unknowable, borderline supernatural event that impacts humanity in a frightening, never-before-seen way, and I can't help but give credit for an attempt. It's a sign of creativity, and sometimes creativity is so unbridled it lands in the camp of arrogance. And I think in some respect there is a large segment of Shyamalan's career that one would agree is, by and large, arrogant art. A bit of this can be perceived when listening to making of tapes of the happening. From a focus on shooting sequentially, the strict regiment regarding how the script will be interpreted, and even how Shyamalan talks about the film before and after its release can seem a little jaded. I think it's important for someone to stand by their work, so I'm not against a creator's choice to make what they want insofar as it isn't sinful or offensive or mean, but it's also important to look at one's work with a healthy sense of skepticism. It's important to recognize its imperfections, and I don't know if that was the case for Shyamalan around this time. For instance, two years prior to the happening, we have the release of Lady in the Water, which comes off the tail of about four consecutive financial hits, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, and The Village with The Village being his lowest rated film at the time. Yet despite having only one critical failure, which The Village has been reassessed by many critics in some circles, Shyamalan has a scene in Lady in the Water where a bitter, angry film critic is unwittingly killed for no other reason than he was a critic. It's bizarre and not only tasteless but also poorly executed, and perhaps one could argue that's a meta subtext, but looking at Shyamalan's missteps there is no other way to look at it other than an arrogant act of disillusionment. And Shyamalan has commented on this scene in Lady in the Water, saying that it's part of the storytelling motif of ignoring naysayers and getting to the point of creativity, to simply focus on getting things done despite what others might think. And while I agree that that's a great way to finish a first draft, that's not a great way to produce a finished product. There's a reason authors employ beta readers, or scripts go through intense edits or public speakers rehearse and edit their presentations. It's a humble acceptance of imperfection that ultimately leads to an improvement in not only the work that they're doing, but their character as well. And this is heavily countered by his comments regarding the difficult relationship he has had with critics and audiences. When asked about whether he had grown thicker skin over his strained and often tested relationship, he responded that vulnerability is the essence of strength. And while there's truth to that, in what way is it vulnerable to simply discard criticism to passively target naysayers of your work? Vulnerability is a matter of openness, a willingness to be accessible, and to avoid or reject criticism is to put up fists ready to swipe or parry anything from coming too close. So what are you really saying, Shyamalan? And then we have The Happening, the main inspiration for this discussion, which by sheer chance lands in the So Bad It's Good camp. From being just comprehensive enough to follow a narrative trail, yet funny enough to laugh at the myriad of mistakes, you can't help but admit that it has endearing qualities to make you go, aww, that's cute. I'm teasing, of course, as there are some legitimate good qualities in the film, such as the way Shyamalan paints certain scenes, most notably when people are driving away from a pub worried that the supposed toxin might be closing in on them, or a later scene in which our gang of heroes arrives at a crossroads and people begin arriving from all sides. There is greatness hidden that isn't simply unintentional humor. And maybe that's the most painful thing about these kinds of films, especially when coming from the same director as Unbreakable, which is quite brilliant. I guess what I'm saying is things could have been worse. 
He could have made something so terrible that people wish it didn't exist, or even disown the film like Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch fame, who publicly regarded the film as bad and said, you can't blame me for not wanting to try to play a science teacher, at least I wasn't playing a cop or a crook. Then comes 2010, which as you may know, is the release year of his most vilified work, The Last Airbender, which actually is disowned by an entire population of geek culture still livid about his poor attempt at adapting the great animated series, Avatar The Last Airbender. Then you have After Earth, which isn't even marketed as an M. Night Shyamalan film, which, you guessed it, was still critically panned. There was a good decade-long intense relationship between Shyamalan failing to connect with critics and audiences alike from 2005 to 2015 until he released The Visit, which, by the way, was shot in secret, independent from production companies. And while it can still be considered a bit of a mess, it was both a financial and critic success. Then you have Split, which is quite wonderful followed by Glass from this year that hasn't gone over so well, but is still in some sense competent, yet still bogged down by some blisteringly illogical plot points. With all that said, it's been a few years since Shyamalan has been in the rut he was stuck in, and while we could see Shyamalan disconnecting from reality again, putting out either absolute travesties like The Last Airbender, or accidental comedies like The Happening, I think there's still some evidence of greatness within Glass that could lead to a continued career of good creativity. But, we'll have to wait and see. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen The Happening, what did you think of it? Have you started to find the hidden comedy genius of its 91-minute runtime, or do you find it so stupid you can't stand a single second of it? Let me know with an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com, or if you're listening at the Cinematic Doctrine website, feel free to leave a comment below. Also, if you're on Letterboxd, I have a list compiling every movie reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with a direct link to those episodes, so feel free to check that out. Also, also, I'll be making a guest appearance on another podcast called War Machine vs. Warhorse, a podcast where we take a recent film, talk about it, then talk about two older films with similar themes and motives. We'll be recording very soon, talking about David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake, who, if you'll remember, was the director of It Follows, the first movie I reviewed for Cinematic Doctrine. Following that, we'll be talking about Shane Black's The Nice Guys and Brian De Palma's The Black Dahlia. One question we'll be tackling is, what is it about a missing girl, in particular in Hollywood lore, that makes for such a hook with men of a certain sized ego? It's going to be a great episode, and I've had a blast preparing notes and discussion topics. Hopefully, you'll give us a listen. And before I lose you, be sure to check out Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page for daily updates on my shenanigans, as well as movie news and semi-daily movie deathmatch where I pit two films together and you decide who wins. Next time, I'll be reviewing Danny Boyle's Yesterday. Until then, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.